you guys had this experience, but how many of you, when you were kids, were daydreamers? Daydreamers in the house? Okay, okay. Uh, I understand that. I myself, too, was a daydreamer as a child. I was the one in the class who was kind of looking out the window at the clouds. And my teacher would be like, Neil! 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 Huh? Huh? What? You know, and I'm just thinking about something. I was always dreaming about some far-off place or some, this, some amazing thing I was going to do one day. And I was very intense with my daydreaming, though. And I would pace, and I still pace. Um, but I would pace when I would daydream. And I remember uh, when I was a kid, it would be something like, you know, me thinking about how I would one day be a football player. You know, like a famous football player. And it wasn't just like I dreamed of throwing a touchdown pass for the Super Bowl. No, no, it was a much more detailed process than that. I started in middle school. And my, my career in football started there in my daydream of like playing really well and then getting on the high school team. And then becoming the starting quarterback as a freshman on the high school team and leading them to a state championship. And then going and being uh, recruited by a bunch of different colleges and Division I colleges and then getting on the University of Texas was the one. I grew up in Texas. So, um, and so I uh, wanted to be on that team. And then I came on the team and I daydreamed about how I was a rookie, but I was sitting behind the starter. And then he got hurt about halfway through the season. And then I came in, I played really, really well. And the coach was like, well, you're going to be the starter. And I'm like, oh, well, thank you. And then as a sophomore, I played great. And we went to a national title, my sophomore, junior, and senior year, of course, all three, because uh, that's very practical. And then I get drafted. Somehow I fall in the draft to the Cowboys, because that was my team as well. And uh, I get drafted by the Cowboys. And then my rookie season, I'm sitting behind the starter. And, and the, kind of the same thing happens. He, get, he gets hurt. I have to step up, step in. I do a great job, but we miss the playoffs barely. And the next year, we go to the playoffs. I mean, I'm telling you, very detailed. And it, it all ended in multiple championships, uh, being retiring, putting my name in the ring of honor, uh, and then, of course, going to the Hall of Fame, and then becoming a broadcaster, and then coaching a team. So very detailed daydream, and I'm telling you, no joke, two and a half hours later, the daydream would be over. It would be a movie, literally, a movie, like a documentary, a fake documentary of my life as a famous Hall of Fame quarterback in the NFL. Um, so it was a little intense. Not that I've ever done that as an adult. Um, but it's easier, I think, to dream about the perfect life and to dream about this amazing calling and this, this awesome career than to actually live it out, right? Because when I would do Little League football, I was like, oh, I have to run, you know? And so the, the, the incentive wasn't there, you know, to really put in the work to experience that as a reality. And I think a lot of times 
in our lives, there's this phrase that we use, and I've used it plenty of times, of the one day I will. One day I will. Meaning, once all the things fall into place and my life is just right, then I will. Right? So, um, you know, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out, all out for Jesus. I'm going to be radical for Jesus. One day I will. Like once, you know, my kids grow up and they're out of this crazy stage and everything, then I'll, then I'll really go after it. You know what I mean? Or, or once, the, once I get the kids out of the house, you know, then, then I will, you know, spend more time, you know, with the Lord or in the Word. Or, or one day, you know, I will uh, answer this call of God that I have in my life once, you know, everything else kind of falls into place, you know, then, then one day... I will, and it's easier for us to do that, to kind of put it off and say one day, when, when everything's just right, then, then I can really say yes to Jesus. When everything kind of falls into its place, then, then I can go all in. But just right now, this season, you know, it's just, it's just, there's not enough room. It's just, I can't do it right now. But the truth is, we know that right now, in this moment, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, Right? Everything we need, God has provided that for us. But that's a hard thing for me to accept because then I also have to accept the fact that the onus is on me and I can't blame the conditions and circumstances of my life as to why I'm not saying yes. And so that's hard. That's hard. And it's easier to say, you know, one day. But the thing is, the truth is, we can live on purpose presently, right now, today, this moment, we can live into our purpose and our calling. Today, Sunday, April 30th, 2023, we can live into our purpose. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. We can live into it today. So the title of my message today is No Time Like the Present. No Time Like the Present. Let's pray over the word. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, you are good, you are faithful, Lord. I just pray that you will speak to us this morning. Lord, I pray that anything that comes from my mouth, that's something that I've conjured up, Lord, I pray that it will fall to the ground and die, Lord, but that your words will remain. Lord, God, and bear fruit in our hearts, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Lord, God, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. All right. So we are continuing in our series this morning on living on purpose. Last week we talked about the calling question, right? The calling question, that idea of, man, what am I called to do? You know, what does God call me to do? And, and this struggle that we have in Western culture that, that calling has everything to do with our career. It's all about my job. What, what, what am I going to be when I grow up, right? Um, but we understand in the word that identity precedes calling. So first we need to know who God says we are, and then we'll know what he's called us to do. So I am, therefore I do, right? And so we talked about all the different things that are true about who we are. We're children of God. We're followers of Christ. We're members of a family. We're members of the body of Christ. We're workers. We're individuals. We have all of this purpose. So much, so much calling and purpose in our life. Even if we don't know exactly where God might be leading us in our career, that doesn't negate the fact that we have so much to live for in every moment of every day. So much that God has designed for us to live into. Good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Ephesians 2.10, right? 
And so we talked about that last week, and we've been following the life of Joseph in this series. And so we're going to continue in Joseph's life, picking up where we left off in Genesis chapter 39. And so we had left off with Joseph being thrown in prison by Potiphar after he was falsely accused of Potiphar's wife of sleeping with her. And so he throws him into prison, even though he's innocent. So we're picking up our story there, Genesis 39, verse 20. Says Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success. And whatever he did. Does this sound familiar? It's like there's an echo in here, right? Same thing happened with Potiphar, the exact same thing. God's favor is on him. He starts having success in everything that he touches. And so the warden of the prison is like, all right, well, I'm just going to have you run everything because it all goes well when you're over it. So, and he's a prisoner <laughs> and he's in charge of the prison, basically. Um, pretty amazing. But he puts him in charge. And something that's important to notice here is that we can't underestimate the favor of God in Joseph's life, right? It wasn't all on Joseph. It wasn't like, oh, because Joseph did all the right things and made all the right moves. No, no, no. It says here, the favor of God was resting on Joseph, the grace of God. And then we can't underestimate that in our calling, in our lives, day to day, living out our calling and our purpose and our dreams is that so much rides on the grace of Jesus. Because without him, what? We can do nothing, right? The only thing that we can boast in is the cross of Jesus. That's what Paul said. He said, my only boast is in the finished work of the cross. It's him. He's the one. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights, right? Every good thing comes from him. So we can't take ownership of any of that. We can obey, and God does bless obedience, but it's the grace of Jesus that causes us to succeed in life and to have fruit in our life as well. And so we see that with Joseph, the favor of God on him. So then in in chapter 40, uh, this unique situation comes up. Joseph's in prison. It says, sometime later, verse 1, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, it's repetitive, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. They were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him, why do you look so sad today? What's up? Not because they're in prison or anything. Um, But why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Isn't that interesting? Do not interpretations belong to who? God. God has the answers. And so Joseph has confidence, not in his interpretation ability, right? Because 
as far as we can see, there's no record of him interpreting dreams before this moment. It's not like he was a professional and dream interpreter, if such a thing existed, right? But he says, God, God has the interpretation. Hey, it belongs to him. He has all knowledge. So tell me your dreams. So he knew the source. Joseph knew the source of his good fortune. He knew why he was blessed. It's because God was with him. So he had confidence in that. Genesis chapter 40, verse 9, goes on. It says, so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So Joseph's like, okay, here's the interpretation of your dream. And don't forget me, please. When everything goes well with you, remember me and get me out of this place, man. Come on. I'm falsely accused being in here. So Joseph's interpretation comes to pass perfectly. Exactly what he said would happen happens. Three days later, uh, Pharaoh holds a feast and he re- re- uh, returns the cupbearer to his position. And then the baker, Joseph also interpreted his dream and, and it was about him getting his head cut off and, and dying. Um, not as good of an interpretation and that's what happened as well. So uh, sad for him. Um, but it comes to pass. Right, it comes to pass. God spoke to him in the moment. Just think about what this means. Joseph said, tell me your dreams. God has the interpretation. They tell him the dream and immediately he says, this is what it means. Complete confidence. Was his confidence in himself? I don't think so. It's not what he said. He said, God will give you the interpretation. And so God spoke to him in that moment. He listened. He trusted in the Lord to speak. He heard his voice. And then he just simply repeated what God told him. And it came to pass. But it was in that moment. He was being led by the presence and the voice of God. Dream interpretation wasn't something that he had prepared for. Remember, he hadn't prepared. He hadn't like done a study on like, okay, grapes, meaning the wine, three cups. Okay, I learned this in my dream interpretation class. No. He was listening to the Holy Spirit. He was listening to the Lord in that moment. And he knew that the answer to any of life's questions belonged to God. And he trusted him in that. So what happens? Genesis 40, 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Yay! (laughs) He got forgotten again. Oh, my goodness. Poor Joseph. Man, it's rough. And so then it's another two years he spends in the prison, in the dungeon, two years. And then Pharaoh has his dream, Genesis 41. So Pharaoh has a dream, and he's talking to all the wise men of the nation saying, hey, interpret this dream. And they're like, I don't know. And so then the cupbearer's like, ah, oh, yes. Hey, Pharaoh, there's this Hebrew slave who interpreted my dream, and it came to pass exactly as he said it, both of us. And he tells them the whole story. And he's like, and, and he does this dream interpretation thing. Like, he's right on. And so Pharaoh's like, all right, well, let's bring him in here. So Genesis 41, 14, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph 
And he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, <laughs> he wasn't looking too hot, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now imagine this. Joseph is standing before the king of Egypt, one of the most powerful kingdoms in the world at the time. He's standing before Pharaoh, right, in this, I don't know, huge hall, I'm sure, throne room, whatever he was in. And Pharaoh says, I've heard it said that you interpret dreams. And then Joseph, his response is awesome. Verse 16, I cannot do it. I mean, that's some guts to say that, right? I can't do it. Pharaoh's like, uh, uh, you know, I cannot do it. And then, but look what he says. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but... God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. He says, I can't do it. I don't know anything. I don't have anything. I don't have any secret sauce, okay? But God has the answers. Again, he trusts in the grace of God, the wisdom of God, the strength of God, that God was with him in that moment, standing before Pharaoh. He knew that God was with him. And not just with him, but for him. He was with him and he was for him. He didn't have the answer, but what he did know, that the Lord was with him and that he had the answers. That's what he was like. I don't know. I don't have the answers, but this is what I do know. God's with me and he does. That's what I know. And then Joseph goes on to interpret Pharaoh's dream perfectly, just like he did the others. And then God blesses him and raises him to a position of prominence. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But in order for us to consistently live on purpose, we need to imitate the wisdom that we see in Joseph in this passage. There's two attributes I see in his wisdom in this story. And these two things. Number one, he lived by the presence. He lived by the presence of God. He relied entirely upon God in the present moment. He was aware that God was with him and that he was for him and he had everything he needed. And he also planned by the principles of truth and revelation that God had given him. So he lived by the presence and he planned by the principles of God's word. And this is something that we as followers of Jesus have an opportunity to do. God invites us into this. Plan. Plan out your life. That's okay. By the principles of the word of God, by his truth. That's, you, you can't go wrong. Plan by the principles of God's word. But then in the moment, live by the presence. Live by the presence. What is the spirit of God saying? What is God leading you to do in the plan? And we all know life happens in between our plans, <laughs> right? So what is God saying? So today I want to look at that first one, living by the presence, how do we, as followers of Christ, live by the presence of God? Number one, by increasing our awareness and acknowledgement of the presence of God with us in every moment. How do we live by the presence? We increase our awareness and our acknowledgement that God is with me right now. In this moment, God is here. God is presently with you. The spirit of God is in you in every moment he's there with you. Acknowledging that truth and living by it. Proverbs 1, 7 
says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the beginning of wisdom is fearing God, is this reverence towards the Lord, right? And we revere God because a lot of reasons. He created us, he made us, he redeemed us, he saved us. He's our heavenly father, he is good, he is faithful, kind, loving, true, just, all the different things, right? So we revere him, we worship him. This is the beginning of wisdom. Joseph had this, he had a reverence for God, right? He revered him, but that reverence was illustrated by his acknowledgement of God. It was illustrated by his awareness of the Lord, right? So we revere God, we honor him, we worship him, we love him, right? And the one whom we revere is with us every moment of every day. He is always with us, he's always in us. And we revere him and he's present. So in our reverence, shouldn't we acknowledge his presence with us, right? If, we, if we're revering the Lord, then we acknowledge that he's standing right next to us in a sense, that we're aware that he is in us in each moment. He's there. This incredible reverence of, yes, Lord, I love you and you are with me now. The God who I worship is with me at all times. And you see that in Joseph. He revered God. And because of that, he acknowledged him. He was aware of him, being with him. Look at Joseph. He kept saying, God will give the answer. God's going to give it. God's here. He's with me. He's going to give the answer. I'm going to just kind of lean over and ask him. It's like, okay, tell me the interpretation. Okay, yes, okay. So God, they just said, oh yeah, you heard it. Okay. Um, so what's the interpretation? All right. So here's the interpretation. I mean, he was aware that God was present with him and he listened to the voice of God. He was constantly thinking about God. He clearly had a heightened awareness of God. And that was the key uh, descriptor of Joseph throughout the story. You hear it over and over again that God was with him, Right? And that's why he had success. That's why things went well, because God was with him. One of the most common phrases in scripture, it says, fear not for what? The Lord is with you, right? God is with you. And so you see that in Joseph. He had no fear. Standing before the king of Egypt, yeah, intimidating, right? But he wasn't afraid. Why? Because he knew God's with me. He's with me. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How awesome is that? Joseph had his mind stayed on God and he had perfect peace in a very, very stressful situation because he knew God was with him, not just with him, but that he was for him. And listen, I love Jesus. I have a reverence for God, but I don't always think about him. Let's be honest, okay? I don't. There's plenty of times. It's funny, yesterday I was put to the test to acknowledge God in every difficult moment when I was coaching my son's flag football team. Yes, God, you are with me. Right? It's hard. It's not easy to do. Uh, and I think there's a lot of things in our life that we value, and it's genuine, it's sincere. Our value is not insincere, it's true. We value, we reverence God. We value the fact that he is with us, absolutely. 
But there's, I think there's a natural gap in, in, in our walk with Christ between a value and then reordering and reprioritizing our lives around the value. And that's putting it, it's the application. It's the action and behavior gap, right? Of putting the value into practice. But Jesus is the one who gives us the grace to do so. It's not up to us. It's the spirit of God in us. Just like Joseph, it's the favor of God. He strengthens us and gives us the ability to keep our minds set on him, even in stressful situations. But he invites us into that reality that God is ever present with us in every moment. And that we can connect with him in any moment of any day. And what an awesome truth and reality. And Jesus is inviting us into that. And then he empowers us in that as well. Amen? So that's number one, is increasing our awareness. Number two is relying on God's grace, wisdom, and strength in each moment. So, so we're aware that he's with us. It's the two things that Joseph knew, right? He knew God was with him. That was one. And then number two, he knew he had the answer. He's got it. He's got everything I need. He's the source. He relied on the grace of God. Pre, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. And he says, don't lean on your own understanding. Easier said than done. Let's be real. Okay. Easier said than done. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. No problem. I'll just trust in the Lord. You know, um, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to do that because it's natural for us to want to take ownership. Right. We want to take ownership because we can trust us. It's easy for us to trust ourselves because we know what we know. And so when a situation arises, it's just easy for us to kind of grab hold of the situation and say, okay, I'm going to figure this out, right? But what God invites us into is to pause. Don't take ownership. Pause, ponder, pray. Relinquish. Pray, relinquish ownership. Okay, God, this is a problem. I started to take ownership because we will. We will. We start to take ownership. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I know I'm taking ownership of this. I'm trusting in myself. I'm going to pause. I'm going to trust you with this, God. And then we just listen and obey how the Lord leads us in that situation. Joseph did this, man. He trusted in the Lord. And he knew without him he could do nothing. We rely on God's presence living day to day, moment by moment. Because we need it. I don't know about you guys. I need it. I need the presence of God. I need his strength, his wisdom, and his grace every moment of my life. Every moment I need it. Because there's, there's always something in each moment. Whether it's I'm parenting my kids. Whether it's I'm trying to have a good attitude when everything's kind of falling apart. Whether it's I'm late to something and I'm trying to get everybody in the car. Or whatever it is, I need the grace of Jesus, but the truth that he's with me, that's encouraging. And then the truth that he has what I need is even more encouraging, right? He's with me and he's for me. And we know, like I said, life happens in between our plans, right? That's where life takes place. And that's where we're not prepared, right? We're not prepared for what might take place that's not in the plan. And that's where the spirit of God comes in. It's where the grace of God comes in. And we do this imperfectly, right? Because then it's like, okay, well, yeah, sure, that makes sense. I'm going to trust God. But I have, that means I have to hear God, right? Because if we're asking God, God, what do you want me to do with this situation? That means we need to hear God 
and recognize this voice like Joseph perfectly, you know, and then walk it out. Well, we all know that we're going to be imperfect in this. <laughs> Amen? Is it just me? Yes. Imperfectly, I imperfectly hear God. Yeah, I, will, I will honestly tell you that right now, okay? So it's imperfect, but we can hear imperfectly and still trust completely. We can hear imperfectly. We might miss it. We might be off, but we can trust completely. We can trust our heart to God and seek him wholeheartedly. And we might still miss it because that's just who we are. We're broken. We're, we're imperfect, but his grace is sufficient. Strength's perfected in our weakness, but we can trust him completely saying, oh Lord, okay, I'm not sure what you're saying, Lord, but, I, but I'm trusting you, God. What do you want me to do? And we kind of, we feel like God is leading us in a certain direction. Maybe we have a peace. Maybe he does speak directly to us. Great. But either way, we have to take a step of faith. I, I, I think this is what you're saying, Lord. But the point is our heart is his. That's what he's interested in. Are we trusting him? It doesn't say hear from the Lord with all your heart. It says trust in the Lord. He's interested in our heart being in his hands because when it is, we're in good hands. We're in good hands with Almighty. Allstate. Almighty. That didn't work. Okay, sorry, that failed. That was a failure. Sorry, I was just, I was trying. Okay. All right, so that's number two. So number one, presence of God with us. Number two, we trust and we rely on his grace. And then lastly, number three, how do we live by the presence is paying attention to the calling of the present moment. Paying attention to the calling of the present moment. I believe the calling of God on the present moment might be the most important calling of our life. You know why? It's because we can only live in the present. We can't live in the future and we can't live in the past. We can only live in this present moment. So Hearing God's call for each moment is the most important calling because that's the one that we can actually do something with. We can act on what God is saying to the present moment. And so if we can do that, if we can invite God into each present moment, whether it's the conversation that we're having with someone after this service, or whether it's our drive home, or whether it's when we're doing dishes or when we're talking to our kids or whatever it is, if we can say, all right, God, what, what is the calling of God on this moment? What is your calling for this moment? And then listening to the heart of God. And you might already know, because if you're parenting in that moment, then you know what God's called you to do as a parent. If you're spending time with your spouse, if you're you know, serving, whatever it is, then you know some of those things already. It's just attention. All right, God, what is the calling in this present moment, Lord? I'm having a conversation with someone, seeing them the way Jesus sees them, celebrating them, seeing the image of God, their image bearers of God, valuing, encouraging, laughing with, enjoying their presence, simple things, right? But it's the calling of that moment because our life is made up of moments, right? Moments stack up on each other and makes a day, day, week, week, year, right? and so on. So if we answered to the call of God in, in the present moment, then we'd be answering the call of God on our life, every day of our life. So what is the calling of the present moment? Paying attention to that. So
So not, that means not living in the past, not living in the future. So Philippians 3.12 talks about this idea of the past. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he says, I'm going to forget what's behind I'm going to press on. And you guys have probably heard the different adages, right, of, of you can't live your life, uh, you know, driving the car, looking in the rearview mirror, right, because you'll get in a wreck or whatever. If you're constantly looking at your past, then it's going to affect your present and your future, right? So if we're constantly looking backwards at, at past wounds or hurts or past scripts that our family has spoken over us or whatever, then it can cause us to crash in the present moment. Right, So we can't live in the past. We have to forget what lies behind and press on. Now, we can learn from the past, for sure, and we can celebrate the past. We can be grateful for what God has done, absolutely, memorials. That's a huge part of the word of God, for sure. But we can't live there. We can only live here. We can only live in the present moment. We can learn, we can celebrate, but we can only live in this moment. And so we don't want to live off of past mistakes, let them define us, or past successes. Because we want to be present to what God is saying right now. So then, do we look towards the future? Well, James 4, verse 13 says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not, wait, wait, let's read this again. Why you do not even know what will, why? Sorry, there's a break. Sorry, there's a comma. Why, comma. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. <laughs> what is your life? I, I, I promise you I did graduate in high school. Um, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Man, that's rough. James throwing down, saying, you, can't, you don't even know what, what lies ahead tomorrow trying to make plans for all this stuff. You don't even know. So you can make a plan, that's fine, but you're going to trust the Lord and say, hey, if God wills it, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Life is, the future is a mystery, okay? So trust God. You can make your plans tentatively, depending on what God tells you to do and what life brings in that moment, right? We all know that our plans don't always work out just the way we plan them, right? So he's saying, trust the Lord, don't trust your own plans. Don't get too far ahead. Okay? The future is a mystery. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't live by that. We can only live in this present moment. So there's a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt, and I want to close with this. There's a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. She said, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Isn't that awesome? What a cool saying. But if we spend the majority of our time living in the future, daydreaming like I did for two and a half hours about my football career, or living in the past, worrying about what happened before and letting that define who I am in this present moment, then I'm missing the present moment. If I spend two and a half hours daydreaming about my football career that's not actually going to happen, then I miss the calling to that present moment. Because I have a feeling that God's calling wasn't to spend two and a half hours thinking about my football career. Right? I miss that. We can only live in the present. So maybe you've experienced this. Because then the thing is, is that if we do that, then we're not really living. 
We live in the past, we live in the future. We're not really living because we're only living here in this moment. Maybe you've been in a situation or you've been in a season like that before. Maybe you're in one now where you just kind of feel like you're just autopiloting kind of through life. You're just kind of going through the motions like it's not, you don't feel alive. You're just kind of, I mean, you are, but you're just kind of coasting. And Jesus said, right, he came to give life and life in all its fullness. Right, and he wants us to be fully alive in every moment of our life, to live life fully alive. And the thing is, we can do that. You know why? Because Christ is with us. Jesus is with us. We can live life fully alive. We can treat each moment, time, as kairos. Kairos, meaning it's pregnant with purpose. Every moment is full of purpose. Every moment of every day, every moment of our lives, today is full of purpose. And we can live that way because Jesus is with us. Each moment has the potential to be lived fully alive because life is always with us. We can live each moment fully alive because life himself is always with us. How awesome is that? So we can live fully alive. Joseph did this and we see what better way to be a light to the world than to live life fully alive. People can taste and see that the Lord is good when we're the salt and light of the world, right? And when we live in that way, God's inviting us into that. So this is what I want us to do. Let's take a moment, bow your heads and close your eyes with me, would you? We're just gonna pray. And uh, God is here in this moment. He's present. So I just want you right where you are, just ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? And it might not be anything that I said today. It might be something totally different. That's fine because we're living in this moment. What is the calling of this present moment that we're in? What might God be asking of you in this moment? How could you live fully alive in this moment? Lord Jesus, we ask that you'll speak to our hearts, God. Help us hear your voice. But Lord, more than that, Lord, help us trust you completely with our hearts. Help us steward each moment of our life. But thank you, God, that we don't have to wait to live out our calling. We can do it today, right now. So Lord, shepherd our hearts in this, God. We want to encounter you. We want to live in partnership with you. Thank you, Jesus. You're always with us. And you're always for us. We bless you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in light of all of that, you know, we've been talking about planning by the principle, living by the presence, and that's something we've been trying to be trying to do as a church, is to plan by the principles of God's word and live by its presence in each moment. And so the leadership of the church, elders, the admin board, myself, uh, that's what we've been trying to do moving forward in this next season. Uh, and we are approaching that launch time in August, like we talked about. We have, let's see, three, three months. That's it. Three months left. 
uh, and we are preparing. This is a season of preparation, and one of those things, one of the things we're doing in order to prepare is uh, the Refresh Initiative. We've talked about that, right? And so this is an opportunity for us to, to answer whatever God is calling us to do uh, in this way, in stewarding the building that he's given us and the, and the facilities that he's given us and shepherding them uh, and pouring into them and showing gratitude uh, in different ways to refresh our current situation, our current building. And so we're going to be doing that. So today we're going to be taking up the refresh offering to kick off the initiative. Uh, so in the, at the far side of the auditorium here, you can see Tyler's holding up a little basket here. Each row has a basket, and there's envelopes. There's little refresh envelopes and pins. So if you guys wouldn't mind just kind of passing down the envelopes and the pins. Uh, so everyone, if you need one, you can grab one of those. Um, but this is what we're doing. We want to listen to Jesus. We want to we wanna listen and obey. That's all we want to do, and that's all I'm asking you guys to do in this season. Um, we want to see this environment, this place, to be an even more warm and welcoming place to seekers and disciples alike. We want to do some renovations to the kids area, like we talked about, staining that concrete hallway, replacing some carpet in the nursery, some things that, have, that need to happen. Uh, and so there's some different things that we're aiming for, goals that we have to refresh this place, this place, this house of worship. And so again, my ask of you is just to listen. Ask God, God, what would you have me give? And then just say yes to whatever he says. It could be a dollar, it could be a thousand dollars, it could be whatever God tells you. But just listening and obeying, and that's what we're asking you guys to do. And also we're asking you to, to uh, invite other people to be a part of this. So there's, there's refresh brochures at the table there. And so if you know friends and family or different people, you're like, man, I would love to invite you to be a part of this and say the same thing, just pray. Pray and ask what God would have you do, okay? Uh, and just invite them to do that. And so those are different ways uh, you can get involved and then you can give, you can give with the QR code on the brochure. You can give in person here. Uh, we're gonna pass the baskets here in a little bit and make sure that everyone gets an opportunity to give. But I want us to worship as we give. So if you guys wouldn't mind just standing to your feet, we're gonna close with a song of worship. Um, but let's pray over our gifts as well. Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you, God, that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord, our provider. And so, Father, we just ask or that you provide, Lord, what you are calling us to do, Jesus. That if you call us to do it, you're going to equip us and provide us with everything we need to get it done, Lord. And we thank you, God, for that. Lord, I pray that you'll give us grace to hear what you're saying and then say yes to you as we give. Lord, we love you and we bless you. And I pray that you'll bless every gift, every person who's giving, bless them. Lord God, and bless the gifts. Lord, I pray that you'll multiply what is given today and over the next month and a half, Lord Jesus, so that it has maximum impact for your kingdom and touching lives within our city and our community and within this church body and family. In Jesus' name, we pray. All right, let's worship as we give.
Lord Jesus, thank you, God, that you are with us and you are for us, Lord, in every moment, God, that we can live in partnership with your spirit and the light of your life that you've poured out for us, that you've purchased at the cross. Lord Jesus, we honor you, Lord, with our lives. Lord, in this moment, we say, God, this moment is yours. Well, God, this day is yours. Tomorrow is yours. This week is yours. This month is yours. This life, Lord, that you've given me. God, this is your life, Jesus. Well, God, may it be a fragrant offering to you. God, we present our lives as living sacrifices to you. May they be wholly acceptable unto you, God, which is our reasonable service. We love you and we bless you. Bless my friends here today, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate you guys. Love you guys. We're going to continue our series next week. Um, again, like I said, if you want to invite some people to be a part of the Refresh Initiative, you can grab a brochure, uh, share it with them, uh, and do it that way. Love you guys, and I'll see you next week.